Section 1 of Aids to Forensic Medicine and Toxicology. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Hawaii in November 2009. Aids to Forensic Medicine and Toxicology by W. G. Etchinson Robinson. Section 1. Part 1 forensic medicine chapter one crimes forensic medicine is also called medical jurisprudence or legal medicine and includes all questions which bring medical matters into relation with the law it deals therefore with one crimes and two civil injuries one a crime is the voluntary act of a person of sound mind harmful to others and also unjust no act is a crime unless it is plainly forbidden by law to constitute a crime two circumstances are necessary to be proved a that the act has been committed b that a guilty mind or malice was present the act may be one of omission or one of commission Every person who commits a crime may be punished, unless he is under the age of seven years, is insane, or has been made to commit it under compulsion. Crimes are divided into misdemeanors and felonies. The distinction is not very definite, but, as a rule, the former are less serious forms of crime, and are punishable with a term of imprisonment generally under two years while felonies comprise the more serious charges as murder manslaughter rape which involve the capital sentence or long terms of imprisonment an offence is a trivial breach of the criminal law and is punishable on summary conviction before a magistrate or justices only while the more serious crimes indictable offences must be tried before a jury Two civil injuries differ from crimes in that the former are compensated by damages awarded while the latter are punished any person whether injured or not may prosecute for a crime while only the sufferer can sue for a civil injury the crown may remit punishment for a crime but not for a civil injury chapter two medical evidence on being called the medical witness enters the witness box and takes the oath this is very generally done by uplifting the right hand and repeating the oath, Scottish form, or by kissing the Bible, or by making a solemn affirmation. 1. He may be called to give ordinary evidence as a common witness. Thus he may be asked to detail the facts of an accident which he has observed, and of the inferences he has deducted. This evidence is what any lay observer might be asked. 2. Expert witness. On the other hand, he may be examined on matters of a technical or professional character. The medical man then gives evidence of a skilled or expert nature. He may be asked his opinion on certain facts narrated. For example, if a certain wound would be immediately fatal. Again, he may be asked whether he concurs with opinions held by other medical authorities. In important cases, specialists are often called to give evidence of a skilled nature thus the hospital surgeon the nerve specialist or the mental consultant may be served with a subpoena to appear at court on a certain date to give evidence 
the evidence of such skilled observers will it is supposed carry greater weight with the jury than with the evidence of an ordinary practitioner skilled witnesses may hear the evidence of ordinary witnesses in regard to the case in which they are to give evidence and it is indeed better that they should understand the case thoroughly but they are not usually allowed to hear the evidence of other expert witnesses in civil cases the medical witness should previous to the trial make an agreement with the solicitor who has called him with reference to the fee he is to receive before consenting to appear as a witness the practitioner should insist on having all the facts of the case put before him in writing in this way only can he decide as to whether in his opinion the plaintiff or defendant is right as regards the medical evidence if summoned by the side on which he thinks the medical testimony is correct then it is his duty to consent to appear if however he is of opinion that the medical evidence is clearly and correctly on the opposite side then he ought to refuse to appear and give evidence and indeed the lawyer would not desire his presence in the witness-box unless he could uphold the case whether an expert witness who has no personal knowledge of the facts is bound to attend on a subpoena is a moot point it would be safer for him to do so and to explain to the judge before taking the oath that his memory has not been sufficiently refreshed the solicitor if he desires his evidence will probably see that the fee is forthcoming a witness may be subjected to three examinations first by the party on whose side he is engaged which is called the examination in chief and in which he affords the basis for the next examination or cross-examination by the opposite side the third is the re-examination by his own side in the first he merely gives a clear statement of facts or of his opinions in the next his testimony is subjected to rigid examination in order to weaken his previous statements in the third he is allowed to clear up any discrepancies in the cross-examination but he must not introduce any new matter which would render him liable to another cross-examination the medical witness should answer questions put to him as clearly and as concisely as possible he should make his statements in plain and simple language avoiding as much as possible technical terms and figurative expressions and should not quote authorities in support of his opinions an expert witness when giving evidence may refer to notes for the purpose of refreshing his memory but only if the notes were taken by him at the time when the observations were made or as soon after as practicable there are various courts in which a medical witness may be called on to give evidence one the coroner's court when a coroner is informed that the dead body of a person is lying within his jurisdiction and that there is reasonable cause to suspect that such person died either a violent or unnatural death or died a sudden death of which the cause is unknown he must summon a jury of not less than twelve men to investigate the matter in other words hold an inquest and if the deceased had received medical treatment the coroner may summon the medical attendant to give evidence by the coroner's emergency provisions act of nineteen seventeen the number of the jury has been cut down to a minimum of seven and a maximum of eleven men by the Juries Act of 1918, the coroner has the power of holding a court without a jury, if, in his discretion, it appears to be unnecessary. 
in charges of murder manslaughter deaths of prisoners in prison inmates of asylums or inebriates homes or of infants in nursing homes he must summon a jury the coroner may be satisfied with the evidence as to the cause of a person's death and may dispense with an inquest and grant a burial certificate cases are notified to the coroner by the police parish officer any medical practitioner registrar of deaths or by any private individual witnesses having been cited to appear are examined on oath by the coroner who must in criminal cases at least take down the evidence in writing this is then read over to each witness who signs it and this forms his deposition at the end of each case the coroner sums up and the jury returned a verdict or inquisition either anonymously or by a majority if this charges any person with murder or manslaughter he is committed by the coroner to prison to await trial or if not present the coroner may issue a warrant for his arrest a chemical analysis of the contents of the stomach etc in suspected cases of poisoning is usually done by a special analyst named by the coroner if any witness disobeys the summons to attend the inquest he renders himself liable to a fine not exceeding two pounds two shillings but in addition the coroner may commit him to prison for contempt of court in criminal cases the witnesses are bound over to appear at the assizes to give evidence there the coroner may give an order for the exhumation of a body if he thinks the evidence warrants a post-mortem examination coroner's inquests are held in all cases of sudden or violent death where the cause of death is not clear in cases of assault where death has taken place immediately or some time afterwards in cases of homicide or suicide where the medical attendant refuses to give a certificate of death where the attendants on the deceased have been culpably negligent or in certain cases of uncertified deaths the medical witness should be very careful in giving evidence before a coroner even though the inquest be held in a coach-house or barn yet it has to be remembered it is a court of law if the case goes on for trial before a superior court your deposition made to the coroner forms the basis of your examination any misstatements or discrepancies in your evidence will be carefully inquired into and you will make a bad impression on judge and jury if you modify retract or explain away your evidence as given to the coroner you had your opportunity of making any amendments on your evidence when the coroner read over to you your deposition before you signed it as true by the licensing act of nineteen hundred two an inquest may not be held in any premises licensed for the sale of intoxicating liquor if other suitable premises have been provided the duties of the coroner are based partly on common law and are also defined by statute principally by the coroner's act of eighteen eighty seven fifty and fifty one victoria chapter seventy one they have been modified however by subsequent acts for example the act of eighteen ninety two the coroner's emergency provisions act nineteen seventeen and the juries act of nineteen eighteen the fee payable to a medical witness for giving evidence at an inquest is one guinea with an extra guinea for making a post-mortem examination and report in the metropolitan area these fees are doubled the coroner must sign the order authorizing the payment and should an inquest be adjourned to a later day no further fee is payable 
if the deceased died in a hospital infirmary or lunatic asylum the medical witness is not paid any fee should a medical witness neglect to make the post-mortem examination after receiving the order to do so he is liable to a fine of five pounds in scotland the procurator fiscal fulfils many of the duties of the coroner but he cannot hold a public inquiry he interrogates the witnesses privately and these questions with the answers from the precognition more serious cases are dealt with by the sheriff of each county and capital charges must be dealt with by the high court of justiciary in scotland the verdicts of the jury may be guilty not guilty or not proven two the magistrate's court or petty sessions is also a court of preliminary inquiry the prisoner may be dealt with summarily as for example in minor assault cases or if the cases of sufficient gravity and the evidence justifies such a course may be committed for trial the fee for a medical witness who resides within three miles of the court is ten shillings and sixpence if at a greater distance one guinea in the metropolis the prisoner in the first instance is brought before a magistrate technically known as the beak who in addition to being a person of great acumen is a stipendiary and thus occupies a superior position to the ordinary j p who is one of the great unpaid in the city of london is the mansion house justice room presided over by the lord mayor or one of the aldermen the prisoner may ultimately be sent for trial to the central criminal court known as the old bailey or elsewhere three quarter sessions these are held every quarter by justices of the peace all cases can be tried before the sessions except felonies or cases which involve difficult legal questions in london this court is known as the central criminal court and it also acts as the assize court in borough sessions a barrister known as the recorder is appointed as sole judge four the assizes deal with both criminal and civil cases there is the crown court where criminal cases are tried and there is the civil court where civil cases are heard before a case sent up by a lower court can be tried by the judge and petty jury it is investigated by the grand jury which is composed of superior individuals if they find a true bill the case goes on but if they throw it out the accused is at liberty to take his departure at the court of assize the prisoner is tried by a jury of twelve in bringing in the verdict the jury must be anonymous if they cannot agree the case must be retried before a new jury at the assize court the medical witness gets a guinea a day with two shillings extra to pay for his bed and board for every night he is away from home with his second-class railway fare if there is a second class on the railway by which he travels if there is no railway and he has to walk he is entitled to three pence a mile for refreshments both ways five court of criminal appeal this was established in nineteen hundred eight and consists of three judges a right of appeal may be based one solely on a question of law two on certificate from the judge who tried the prisoner three on mitigation of sentence speaking generally in the superior courts the fees which may be claimed by medical men called on to give evidence are a guinea a day if resident in the town in which the case is tried 
and from two to three guineas a day if resident at a distance from the place of trial this to include everything except travelling expenses the medical witness also receives a reasonable allowance for hotel and travelling expenses if a witness is summoned to appear before two courts at the same time he must obey the summons of the higher court criminal cases take precedence of civil a medical man has no right to claim privilege as an excuse for not divulging professional secrets in a court of law and the less he talks about professional etiquette the better still in a civil case if he were to make an emphatic protest the matter in all probability would not be pressed in a criminal case he would promptly be reminded of the nature of his oath a medical man may be required to furnish a formal written report it may be the history of a fatal illness or the result of a post-mortem examination these reports must be drawn up very carefully and no technical terms should be employed no witness on being sworn can be compelled to kiss the book the oaths act fifty one and fifty two victoria chapter forty seven paragraph five declares without any qualification that if any person to whom an oath is administered desire to swear with uplifted hand in the form and manner in which an oath is usually administered in scotland he shall be permitted to do so and the oath shall be administered to him in such form and manner without further question the witness takes the oath standing with the bare right hand uplifted above the head the formula being i swear by almighty god that i will speak the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth the presiding judge should say the words and the witness should repeat them after him there is no kissing of the book and the words so help me god which occur in the english form are not employed it will be noted that the scotch form constitutes an oath and is not an affirmation the judge has no right to ask if you object on religious grounds or to put any question he is bound by the provisions of the act and the enactment applies not only to all forms of the witness oath whether in civil or criminal courts or before coroners but to every oath which may be lawfully administered either in great britain or ireland a witness engaged to give expert evidence should demand his fee before going into court or at all events before being sworn with regard to notes these should be made at the time on the spot and may be used by the witness in court as a refresher to the memory though not altogether to supply its place all evidence is made up of testimony but all testimony is not evidence the witness must not introduce hearsay testimony in one case only is hearsay evidence admissible and this is in the case of a dying declaration this is a statement made by a dying person as to how his injuries were inflicted these declarations are accepted because the law presumes that a dying man is anxious to speak the truth but the person must believe that he is actually on the point of death with absolutely no hope of recovery a statement was rejected because the dying person in using the expression i have no hope of recovery requested that the words at present should be added if after making the statement the patient were to say i hope now i shall get better it would invalidate the declaration to make the declaration admissible as evidence death must ensue if possible a magistrate should take the dying declaration but if he is not available the medical man without any suggestions or comments of his own should write down the statements made by the dying person 
and see them signed and witnessed it must be made clear to the court that at the time of making his statement the witness was under the full conviction of approaching or impending death chapter three personal identity it is but seldom that medical evidence is required with regard to the identification of the living though it may sometimes be so as in the celebrated tichborne case the medical man may in such cases be consulted as to family resemblance marks on the body navy materni scars and tattoo marks or with regard to the organs of generation in cases of doubtful sex tattoo marks may disappear during life the brighter colors as vermilion as a rule more readily than those made with carbon as indian ink after death the coloring matter may be found in the proximal glands if the tattooing is superficial merely underneath the cuticle the marks may possibly be removed by acetic acid or cantharides or even by picking out the coloring matter with a fine needle with regard to scars and their permanence it will be remembered that scars occasioned by actual loss of substance or by wounds healed by granulation never disappear the scars of leech bites lancet wounds or cupping instruments may disappear after a lapse of time it is difficult if not impossible to give any certain or positive opinion as to the age of a scar recent scars are pink in color old scars are white and glistening the psychiatrix resulting from a wound depends upon its situation of incised wounds an elliptical psychiatrix is typical linea being chiefly found between the fingers and toes by way of disguise the hair may be dyed black with lead acetate or nitrate of silver or by steeping some of it in dilute nitric acid and testing with iodide of potassium for lead and hydrochloric acid for silver the hair may be bleached with chlorine of peroxide of hydrogen detected by letting the hair grow and by its unnatural feeling and the irregularity of the bleaching fingerprint impressions are the most trustworthy of all means of identification such a print is obtained by rubbing the pulp of the finger in lamp black and then impressing it on a glazed card the impression reveals the fine lines which exist at the tips of the fingers the arrangement of these lines is special to each person and cannot be changed hence this method is employed by the police in the identification of prisoners in the determination of cases of doubtful sex in the living the following points should be noticed the size of the penis or clitoris and whether perforate or not the form of the prepuce the presence or absence of nymphae and of testicles or ovaries openings must be carefully sounded as to their communication with bladder or uterus after puberty inquiry should be made as to menstrual or vicarious discharges the general development of the body the growth of hair the tone of voice and the behavior of the individual towards either sex with regard to the identification of the dead in cases of death by accident or violence the medical man's assistance may be called the sex of the skeleton if that only be found may be judged from the bones of the female generally being smaller and more slender than those of the male by the female thorax being deeper the coastal cartilages longer the ilia more expanded the sacrum flatter and broader the coccyx movable and turned back the tuberosities of the ischia wider apart the pubes shallow and the whole pelvis shallower and with larger outlets 
but of all these signs the only one of any real value is the roundness of the pubic arch in the female as compared with the pointed arch in the male before puberty the sex cannot be determined from an examination of the bones age may be calculated from the presence nature and number of the erupted teeth from the cartilages of the ribs which gradually ossify as age advances from the angle formed by the ramus of the lower jaw with its body obtuse in infancy a right angle in the adult and again obtuse in the aged from loss of the teeth and in the young from the condition of the epiphyses with regard to their attachment to their respective shafts to determine stature the whole skeleton should be laid out and measured one and a half to two inches being allowed for the soft parts chapter four examination of persons found dead when a medical man is called to a case of sudden death he should carefully note anything likely to throw any light on the cause of death he should notice the place where the body was found the position and attitude of the body the soil or surface on which the body lies the position of surrounding objects and the condition of the clothes he should also notice if there are any signs of a struggle having taken place if the hands are clenched if the face is distorted if there has been foaming at the mouth and if urine or feces have been passed involuntarily urine may be drawn off with a catheter and tested for albumin and sugar if required to make a post-mortem examination every cavity and important organ of the body must be carefully and minutely examined the seat of injury being inspected first chapter five modes of sudden death there are three modes in which death may occur one syncope two asphyxia three coma one syncope is death beginning at the heart in other words failure of circulation it may arise from one anemia or deficiency of blood due to hemorrhage such as occurs in injuries or from bleeding from the lungs stomach uterus or other internal organs two asthenia or failure of the heart's action met with in starvation in exhausting diseases such as phthisis cancer pernicious anemia and bright's disease and in some cases of poisoning for example aconite the symptoms of syncope are faintness giddiness pallor slow weak and irregular pulse sighing respiration insensibility dilated pupils and convulsions post-mortem the heart is found empty and contracted when however there is sudden stoppage of the heart the right and left cavities contain blood in the normal quantities and blood is found in the venae cavae and in arterial trunks there is no engorgement of either lungs or brain two asphyxia or death beginning at the lungs may be due to obstruction of the air passage from foreign bodies in the larynx drowning suffocation strangling and hanging from injury to the cervical cord effusion into the pleurae which consequent pressure on the lungs embolism of the pulmonary artery and from spasmodic contraction of the thoracic and abdominal muscles in strychnine poisoning the symptoms of this condition are fighting for breath giddiness relaxation of the sphincters and convulsions 
post-mortem cadaveric lividity is well marked especially in nose lips ears etc the right cavities of the heart and the venae cavae are found gorged with dark fluid blood the pulmonary veins the left cavities of the heart and the aorta are either empty or contain but little blood the lungs are dark and engorged with blood and the lining of the air tubes is bright red in color much bloody froth escapes on cutting into the lungs numerous small hemorrhages tardieux spots are found on the surface and in the substance of the internal organs as well as in the skin of the neck and face three coma or death beginning at the brain may arise from concussion compression cerebral pressure from hemorrhage and other forms of apoplexy blocking of a cerebral artery from embolism dietetic and uremic conditions and from opium and other narcotic poisons the symptoms of this condition are stupor loss of consciousness and stertorous breathing the post-mortem signs are congestion of the substance of the brain and its membranes with accumulation of the blood in the cavities of the heart more on the right side than on the left it must be remembered that owing to the interdependence of all the vital functions there is no line of demarcation between the various modes of death in all cases of sudden death think of angina pectoris and the rupture of an aneurysm the following is a list of some of the commoner causes of sudden death a instantaneously sudden death one syncope by far the commonest cause two aortic incompetence three rupture of heart four rupture of a valve five rupture of aortic aneurysm six embolism of coronary artery seven angina pectoris b less sudden but unexpected death one cerebral hemorrhage or embolism two mitral and tricuspid valvular lesions if the patient exerts himself three rupture of a gastric or duodenal ulcer rupture of liver spleen or extrauterine gestation or abdominal aneurysm four suffocating during an epileptic fit vomited matter or other material drawn into the trachea or air passages croup five arteriosclerosis may lead to thrombosis embolism or aneurysm six poisoning as by hydrocyanic acid cyanide of potassium inhalation of carbonic acid or coal gas edema of glottis following inhalation of ammonia seven rapid onset of some acute specific disease such as pneumonia or diphtheria collapse from cholera eight heat stroke lightning shocks of electricity of high tension nine mental or physical shock ten exertion while the stomach is overloaded eleven diabetic coma uremia twelve status lymphaticus this is a general hyperplastic condition of the lymphatic structures in the body and is seen in enlargement of tonsils thymus spleen as well as of pyrus patches and mesenteric glands it is a frequent cause of death during chloroform anesthesia for slight operations in young people in addition it may be as well to remember that death sometimes occurs suddenly in exophthalmic goiter hypertrophy of the thymus and in edison's disease 
in some cases of sudden death nothing has been found post-mortem even when the autopsy has been made by skilled observers and the brain and cord have been submitted to microscopical examination end of section one